0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hail, West Virginia. Brand new for the 2022 Hail, season, it's the Hail, RVK. Virginia. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Hail, Jeremy JN Fiend Phoenix and me. Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys.
1: Are you looking for the perfect way to take your brand to the next level? Want to reach a dedicated, engaged audience that's all ears? With AudioHook.com, you can do just that. AudioHook is the premier podcast advertising platform, connecting advertisers with some of the best podcasts in the world. AudioHook uses advanced targeting techniques to ensure your message reaches the right ears at the right time. With detailed analytics, you'll be able to track your campaign's performance and optimize your strategy for maximum impact. Plus, their team of experts are there every step of the way, providing guidance and support to make your campaign a success. So, whether you're a startup, a small business owner, or a marketing pro, AudioHook is your one-stop shop for podcast advertising success. Head over to AudioHook.com to start your journey today.
0: Recapping a fantastic opening game for the Kansas Jayhawks for the football team here, uh, a 56 to 10 win over the Tennessee Tech Golden Eagles. I was in attendance in person. Kyle was watching from home and got our recap up pretty quickly. And I, I from I could tell from what he wrote, he was pretty impressed as well. But Kyle Davis of Blue Wings Rising is here joining me today, so we can do this recap. Kyle, how you doing today?
2: I'm basking in the glow of you know one and no start. You got you, you have we don't have a there's not a lot of panic like there has been in, in other years, and we don't know where it'll lead. But like let's just enjoy the moment Well, we can. Like let's not get a, too far ahead of ourselves.
0: Yeah, you know it is kind of funny because normally you know you talk about a Kansas win and the the mantra is like let's not get too excited. I mean they won by three points against you know Indiana State or like there's a bunch of. Um, yeah, buts right that you can point to of like why this wasn't impressive or why this isn't something you should be happy about or or that you automatically think they're gonna be able to build on. I this is not the case here. like look, it, this is Tennessee Tech it's a it's a very bad team FCS team in a very, very bad FCS conference. like we'll be up clear up front, right? Like we'll get all those caveats out of the way up front because yes, this is a team that you should beat by this margin, but there's also a Kansas team that in the past hasn't come nowhere near close to beating these teams by the margin that they're supposed to. So you can be excited about this. We can talk about all the, the takeaways from the actual stats themselves or what we saw, the formations or whatever we, we actually end up, you know, looking at. I feel like there is enough here from a normal team. I actually said this over on the Ten Twelve podcast, which came out yesterday, that said that, uh, you know, Kansas needed a game like this if they're going to have a good season, they needed a game like this if they're gonna have a great season. So there's still a lot of questions about which one it's going to be. But this is a prerequisite this type of win is a prerequisite for them to be able to have the type of season that we want them to have. Whether it's a good, you know, four and eight season or a great six and six season and they happen to get to a bowl game. Like I think all of that's in play now. I think the fact that a, you know yes, six and six is still is still asking for a lot from this team. Um and it's asking for some things to go wrong for some of the other teams. But Um, you know, I think there was, there is enough here that we saw from the Kansas side to think that those are actually still possibilities, which would not have been the case if they had, you know, barely won this game by like seven points.
2: Yeah. And this is something, you know, the shameless plug go over to the, the side blue wings rising. And I did a breakdown of just how rare this is over the last, you know, 12 years and really the, the twenty sixteen game against uh Rhode Island where it was a fifty-five to six win is really the only uh is the only one like this. I mean, they've you know, eleven FCS opponents in twelve years, they're eight and three, and the the combined or the average margin of victory is seventeen points, and that's with that forty nine point win over Rhode Island. So like, yeah, these are like there you know how many like seven to 14 wins over South Dakota state, or, you know, like 17 to 14 point margins over South Dakota state or any you know, of those are, I mean, right. This all started out with the, with the horrible six to three loss to North, uh, North Dakota state, which is probably like the, the, that was the beginning of the downfall, but yeah, this is like, this is not something you're used to. So like just in that sort of dominant, you know, week one, enjoy a blowout win, regardless of the opponent then this is something you just need to like take a second and enjoy because while it's true that yes, they are worse than you and you should do that to them. Kansas has not done that to, to these types of opponents in the past. And so this is at least a benchmark. Uh, And then when we get into the actual game, you know, the other part of it is just what this kind of blowout uh, affords you, which is, you saw a lot of different players on the field, and you got some extra evaluation points that you might not have gotten otherwise in a very close game. I think the running back room is kind of one of those examples where I don't know if ever again this season, you know, Devin Neal's only going to have four carries, but that's okay because one, he made the most out of them, and two, now. The margin was so – the game was so much, you know, uh, put away by halftime or the beginning of the third quarter that you could play around and see what you've got in some of these newcomers and, you know, the the third and the fourth guy on the, on the depth chart. So, yeah, this, I think, was going to be a positive for quite a few different aspects, one with obviously the confidence uh, and from a fan base standpoint, and then two, from an evaluation standpoint, like that's got to be something as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it was definitely one of those things where, look, I, I said in the preview that, that I did with Brendan that uh, we were probably going to see one of two things, right? We were, we were either going to see Kansas run the score up by, because they were going to play all their starters for large minutes of this game to make sure that they had that sort of stuff going and they were ready. Or it was probably going to be a closer game, you know, maybe 14 to 21 points, and Kansas was going to play everybody. Um, instead, what we saw was we got both of those. We got them playing everybody early in the first half, even. Um, and Kansas just completely ran away with it. I think a big part of that obviously has to do with the way that the defense was playing. And the defense, you were always going to be rotating people in and out. Like, that. was they've been talking about that. That is the philosophy that they want. And honestly, that's the way you should on a defense. When you're worried so much about whether people are fresh for the end of games, the more people you get involved early, the better. And that is kind of the goal there. Offense, though, typically you want to get your main guys going, and you want to get them going very quickly. And you want to give them a lot of opportunity to kind of build that momentum and that consistency. What we saw is that this Kansas team has so many different options and they want to use so many different options that to get them all going in a game, you have to get them all going pretty quickly. And luckily for Kansas, that actually happened. Like you said, you know, Devin Neal officially got the start, uh, at least from what I can tell. That's part of the problem when you have so many different options that can run. Uh, like, I believe he was the running back on the very first play, which gives him officially the starter status there. But like you said, he only got four carries. I think part of that was because, you know, he had that big 80, 80 yard long touchdown run. Um, and, you know, I think that was a drive that he was supposed to be like the feature back for that particular drive. And that that seemed to be the way that they handled it, right? They had, they had a primary and a secondary running back on each drive and... You know, so so like you would see Sevian Morrison and Kai Thomason together, or Daniel Highshaw and Devin Neal, or like you would see a bunch of different guys that would be in there in different combinations. Um and it would just kinda of depend on how stuff came up. But yeah, Neal just ripped off that huge one. Like so I mean, even without though, that huge eighty yard run, like you look he was three three carries for twenty eight yards and a touchdown. Mm-hmm we would have been saying that was a good night with how many people got involved anyway, but to have that 80 yard, uh, you know, highlight there at the end, you know, you had Jason Bean come in late in this game when the game was completely out of hand. And also after Jalen Daniels threw a pick on probably the only bad play that he made the entire night. Um, you know, you do that and, and really like he comes in and rips off a, a touchdown run as well on a, on a beautiful read. So like, there's just so many different guys that they have. Daniel Hyshaw was just absolutely mauling people, which, again, should be doing based off of the difference in the talent level and the difference in the in just the build of a lot of these different players. But, you know, I think the only player that I looked at that had a significant number of carries that struggled was Kai Thomas. Um, you know, he had seven carries for 15 yards. But again, I don't think that was necessarily, um, you know, him doing anything wrong. It was more or less just that, Tennessee Tech stepped up in a in a few instances and and actually you know showed that they had some ability, which is what you kind of expect. But um thinking like let's let's go ahead and finish up with the offense here because again there were so many different guys that did just a small number of things that um, you know that that still had good games, but it's hard to kind of hone in on anyone. But thoughts about Jalen Daniels and how he played this game. It seemed like he had a lot of poise coming out of the locker room. He really had a good idea of what he wanted to do was making some good decisions. I there was one play, I think it was the first long pass to Quentin Skinner which, you know, that 56-yard pass. He he basically he faked a handoff, he went through I think five different reads on that particular play before he finally launched it out to Skinner. If he had if he had gotten just another yard on it, he probably would have hit him in stride and he would have had a touchdown instead of a 56-yard uh play there. But thoughts on what Daniels did and kind of the way that he really showed that this job is his, I think moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. There, there was basically one really poor decision, and that was the interception toward the sideline, uh, where it was double covered, maybe even triple. You had the safety coming in, and that was not a good look. But other than that, like it was about as efficient and just overall, like uh, the the control of the offense and was there. Like he, and it wasn't like a you know we've seen this in the past too, where there's the The numbers might look decent, but it's a lot of dinking and dunking, maybe not necessarily trusting your guy. I mean, we saw the play action bomb to Skinner. Like, they were opening things up. I think, honestly, the biggest – the first thing that stuck out and probably even all night was the very first drive of the game. So your defense just forces a a three and out to start it. It's third and ten, and Daniels connects with – I think it was Lawrence Arnold, right? Yeah, for a first down. Like, that is an area where in the past – KU would have, you know, basically squandered the defensive stop to begin with, gone their own three and out, back to sideline punting, and you're just wondering what the heck's going on. And that's not all on Daniels. You know, Arnold, you know, stepped up and made some big catches as well, but just like the poise there on the third and 10 to just kind of, you know, shake off the kind of preconceived notions of what we expect to happen on a third and 10 for KU, you know, starting off against an inferior opponent. But just the poise there and the decision-making, except for that one play, which we will give him, which is really impressive. And again, it, this was not all screen passes and dumping out to the flats and that sort of thing. Like, he was taking some good shots. His guys were getting downfield. There was a lot in, the like, the 10 to 15, 20-yard um, play. And he hit a lot of different receivers, which was good to see, too. Lawrence Arnold, I think, is going to be probably the number one guy but, you know, connected with Mason Fairchild. uh, So get his tight end going kind of more toward the end of the game. Obviously Luke Grimm had some plays made up for that, that muff punt, uh, which, you know, again, there were some flaws in this game and that, that was certainly one of them, but you know, uh, Skinner made the big play. You saw McBride get in there a couple of times. So I did like to see, yeah, just overall, I think the poise, I think he did about everything you could ask for him. They, they, it looked like the office offense was already in sync and they were not, you know, Daniels is not trying to do too much, but they were also not being, there were no safety wheels on, you know, he was allowed to take some shots and they were doing some downfield, but it all felt like it was within the flow of the offense. And it wasn't one guy trying to, you know, which is maybe I think some maturity on, on Daniels part, whereas the freshman, maybe he tries to put everything on his shoulders and and that was kind of the biggest takeaway. And I think it started with that first, uh, third down attempt which that was going to be a theme i think what they were i think four of six on third down for the whole entire game like that kind of poise in the execution uh just i don't know if you can ask for much better even given the competition
0: yeah i mean and and that's really what it was right is that we saw this maturity this growth from them from, especially from what we've seen you know daniels in his true freshman year um he was making reads quickly and making very poor reads you know, that, that, that one interception that he had, kind of to your point, you know, he threw in a triple coverage. That felt to me kind of like a... And again, before everyone jumps on my, on my you know case here, I am not comparing him and saying that he's as good as Patrick Mahomes, but it reminds me of a Patrick Mahomes training camp, what can I get away with type of throw. More of a, you know, this doesn't really matter. I want to see what this looks like, what I can do. Am I making the the right read? If he had made that in a, in a much tighter game, then I would have been super upset about it. But at this point... Everything was going so well for him on the night that it was just like, okay, let's see what we can do. Let's see, you know, if we can thread the needle there the way that we that we want to do it, and it didn't work. And and you know, if he if he makes another throw like that, like this week coming up against West Virginia, then I might be a little bit concerned. But um, again, once you get into the kind of those slop minutes where you know you're pretty much done, regardless, um, you know, it's it's it gives you an opportunity to go ahead and try that. Yeah, you know, the fact that it would ended up in a you know, in a turnover was not great, but the Kansas defense was able to really kind of shut down what Tennessee tech was trying to do after that. So, and, and we will get to the defense here in just a minute, but before we get there, you know, Uh, first of all, I was going back and looking. I did, did realize actually Kai Thomas got the, the first run on the first play. So it looks like he was officially the starter instead of Devin Neal. Just wanted to make sure that I cleared that up, but it's, again, it's not important. I don't think in the overall run of things, because this team is going to be playing so many different guys. Um, like you said, they got a lot of different receivers involved. Um, you know, they had Mason Fairchild kind of the main tight end reception or the main tight end, uh, uh, target there. But, you know, they got some of the, the running backs involved in the in the receiving game. Lawrence Arnold had the most uh, receptions in terms of getting four of those. But it was so spread out that I have a hard time, again, like you said, I have a hard time imagining that they are going to lock in on one or two receivers the entire year as kind of the main guys. They did exactly what they talked about all year long, right? Consistency of, like, it was hard to tell who was in and running different routes because they all did it very similarly. And I think that's the biggest kind of praise you can get for a room like this that does not know who all they're going to have, or I'm sorry, does not know who the guy that's going to step up to be like the big guy for them is going to be. And so it's, it's one of those things where you couldn't have asked for a better start from this offense because everything that they said they were going to try to do, they were able to do it. Now, once we get to stiffer competition, will they be able to continue to do it that's definitely a question but to see them put that into action in a game the way that they want to see it regardless of what the opponent is that's something that we haven't been able to see Les miles you know his his uh his two different well i guess four different offensive coaching staffs that he had in the two years that he was here never really seemed to be able to do what they wanted to do and what they talked about doing and taking that from the practice field to the game. Um, Brent Deerman did some great things while he was here. Unfortunately, it seemed like there was always some sort of restriction, always some sort of limitation what he could do. Um, we will figure out just how well they're able to continue that throughout the rest of the season. But before we do move on to the defense, was there anything else offensively that you thought needed to be uh, highlighted here?
2: Yeah, I would just say, you know, we, we give the, um, obviously, the running back, room a lot of credit as well and just in general. But I do think again, let's we'll put all the other caveats out there about opponent and whatnot. But I think there's been a lot of uh focus on the offensive line and what it was going to look like. And we all know the struggles of the past and the fact that you were able to, you know, you you racked up five hundred yards of total offense. that obviously the rushing game looked great. A lot of that I know came on like Devin Neal's run. But even just in general, you know, you had you had several guys averaging, you know, north of eight yards a carry. And then you protected your quarterback. You weren't seeing Daniels getting popped left and right and blindsided. And like, he had time. Like a lot of the stuff that we talked about with his, his poise and the multiple reads is because he had time. So I think, again, caveats of opponent aside, the offensive line passed the first test, I would say. And that was kind of a big question, especially when you're seeing like, can this offense take a step forward in the right direction? It's can they protect these assets and can you get, you know, Devin Neal in space and others. And so I think first off, I would, I would say a lot of, a lot of love has been going to the skill guys for a good reason, but I do think that the offensive line should get a lot of credit for what we saw, you know, even against a, a you know, undermanned opponent on the, on the defensive side.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm glad you call that out because we've been talking about how important offensive line is, is all year long are uh, all preseason long and so yeah it's definitely I think a good sign that they were able to do that and I, I you know I think the biggest the biggest praise you can typically give offensive line is that you don't really um or their play doesn't stand out right because if they're doing what they're supposed to do then that allows the focus to be on the skill position players and and the fact that I wasn't really drawn to oh that guy missed a block or you know or this particular thing happened I I I don't know. I haven't had a chance to look at the pro football focus ratings yet for them. I I don't know if they're actually even out yet because week one is still officially going on as we're recording this with a, you know, a a game still to go on Monday night. But um, you know, it's definitely one of those things where I didn't see anything that jumped out to me immediately as, Oh, they messed up. Um, You know, there weren't really a lot of good opportunities for gigantic pancake blocks or, you know, you know, something to really spring a guy, because most of the skill position players did their work inside the tackles, made a guy miss at the line in the big jumble, or you know did this or that that really made it difficult to highlight any particular offensive lineman. But I am looking forward to seeing what they're all able to do. And, and the biggest question was, you know, the person filling in for that final slot that they didn't have a starter returning from last year, what were they going to do? Um, again, I can't even actually tell you. I haven't been able to go back and chart it. so like I don't know who all played or how often they played if they did rotate a bunch of offensive linemen like they were talking about doing. And and nobody really asked about it in the press conference. Um, I'm guessing because there was, you know, a bunch of other things to really kind of ask about with all the other excitement going on. But, um, you know, offensive line, they don't get a lot of love. But usually that's because if if you notice them, <laughs> they did something bad. So um, you're right. Great great opportunity from them or great work from them to make sure that this team was able to do basically everything they wanted to do. Like you said, the total yard difference was five Oh two to 190. Um, you know, Kansas versus Tennessee tech. And honestly, that, that could have been a lot more if Kansas had kept pushing, they, they really took their foot off the gas in Tennessee. It's the old, you know, the old uh, high school run up where you get to the point where it's like you pull all the starters and you get it all the backups and they still can't stop you. It's like, well, what do you do at that point? Um, And so, like, that's really what this game came down to. It's definitely a little concerning that there was three turnovers from the Jayhawks. Um, But again, I think each of those individually, a muffed punt. um, You know, I actually said this one live when Luke Grimm muffed that punt. It looked like he misplayed and the ball got got knocked down by the wind or something, like, a lot earlier than he was expecting. Um, Because you saw him, like, I saw him, he was set up for it and had done his fair catch, and then at the last second had to break forward to try to catch the ball. And at at which point he should have just let it bounce and and gone from there. But, you know, you're going to make those sort of mistakes. You can do it in a game like this. It's not that big of a deal. But, okay, so let's look ahead. I'm sorry. Let's look to the other side of the ball because we haven't actually looked at the defense yet, and there was a ton on the defense that went really well. Um, Of all the potential guys to uh to you know highlight as the one that stood out. Is there a single player that really jumps out to you or where there's enough production spread around that you have to highlight a few? I
2: uh I think it's both. I think if if you had to give a game ball to someone, it has to be Lonnie Phelps, I think. I mean he he led the team in tackles. He had three sacks. Yeah, I think he had four tackles for loss. Like he was I think I tweeted this from the account during the game. But he just it felt like he was all over the field, just like disrupting anything Tennessee tech tried to do. Uh, and so he was getting in the backfield. He was chasing guys down. I thought he, he was uh, it was about as probably of, of a good debut for him this season. This, as, as you could ask for, obviously, uh, you know, Gilliard got the, got the pick that he also did some good things with uh, kind of getting in the backfield, you know, Kenny Logan's always going to kind of lead and and anchor that secondary and, and overall, I thought the secondary played, played pretty well, but um, yeah, I think there's, there's credit that can go to a lot of different, a lot of different uh, guys here that I, I think that, you know, when you're going to have such a, initial dominant performance it, it can't be just you know one player but I do think Lonnie Phelps has to be the guy we start with this conversation just how disruptive he was and I imagine that that yeah the the Tennessee Tech offensive coordinator is probably gonna be having nightmares about him this weekend of just what he was able to do against them
0: yeah I mean it was super impressive and I think what was interesting was you know I, I had talked a little bit in the previews and and kind of looking at the positional previews Lonnie Phelps was actually rated higher, you know, as a as a productive player last season than Kyron Johnson was, and that was really the big question because everybody knew that Phelps was coming in as kind of the, you know, Kyron Johnson replacement, um, and the worry was, well, you probably can't really replace Kyron Johnson. But Lonnie Phelps, in his one game, obviously, again, opponent, you have to worry about that, but he has shown the potential, the ability to be able to replace that type of production. The question is just going to be how consistent can he be. I do think that that was one place where Johnson flashed was, you know, he didn't have a bad game. We've yet to see whether Phelps will have a bad game, and only one game in. There's no reason, though, based off this performance. Three sacks, four tackles for losses. He was the leading tackler. Um, you know, he did about everything that you would expect, a guy in that position to do. And, and uh, you know, I think what was also fairly impressive is after you look at just how good the top line was, Rich Miller did really well with, you know, he was in on six different tackles, but, um, but I think the thing that really jumps out to me is just how many different players were involved in tackles and, and, you know, getting solo tackles or making big stops. The Jayhawks, you know, they did a fantastic job um, making sure that they covered pretty much everybody. Uh, yes, Tennessee Tech got a few big plays, and you know they were able to take advantage of a couple different things. But the other thing that we don't we aren't used to seeing from this team is the offense made a big mistake. You know, with that turnover, and if I remember correctly, I'm actually pulling up the drive right now. But I believe they were able to hold them to a field goal attempt that was missed after that. Um, actually, I'm looking right now. Yeah, yeah. So it was a you know that was the the interception that was on the very first play from the KU 29 um, in the, the second drive for the Jayhawks. And, and actually, that I guess that's the other kind of thing to think about too, right? Is that you had, you had Kansas go on a long drive to come out of the half and miss the field goal. Um, and so Tennessee Tech had some momentum. And then, uh, nope, three and out because the defense made them punt. Then Kansas throws a pick immediately, and Tennessee Tech is able to not do much and misses a 27-yard field goal. And you can talk about how much of that is uh you know the special teams doing a good job, but when you're when you have a 27-yard field goal, like you missing that is a whole lot more on the team that's kicking it messing up as opposed to your your coverage team doing a good job. Like the the punt block, I'm sorry, the field goal block that turned into a touchdown for the Jayhawks. That was them making a good block on a long kick. And it was, you know, as much of them doing a really good thing as opposed to Tennessee Tech just messing it up. That that law or that miss there, though, from 27 yards out was kind of the culmination of the defense beating them up so much that they were um, not really able to to get what they needed to get there. Um, you know, this, but this, this defense, I thought, was absolutely phenomenal, had a ton of different guys that really stepped up and showed what they were able to do. And I do think it's extremely promising that you look up and down along the, the list of people that had really, really good performances and that show up towards the top of that. And most of them are players that transferred in this year. Um, you know, Kenny, Kenny Logan is the guy you normally think of. He was, he only had four tackles. They were all solo tackles, including one that uh, I believe, or no, I'm sorry, that wasn't him. I'm thinking of OJ Burroughs had a touchdown saving tackle in the open field. Um, early in the game that I think led to just a field goal for Tennessee Tech. And so, like, you can look at pretty much every single player, um, you know, on this defense that played, and they had a moment where you're like, man, that was a, that was a pretty good play. Um, you know, Scott Chasen uh, mentioned how Craig Young was a guy that, like, stepped up or flashed to him. You look at his box score there, he only had two tackles, and only one of them was solo. So the fact that he could make such an impact on things that don't show up in the box score is a huge positive for this team and will be very interesting to see how much of that continues throughout the rest of the year.
2: Yeah. I, I, and I think that the, you know, especially some of those bigger plays you mentioned happened when the game was well endowed anyway, and you know, you could say whatever you want, but just naturally you're going to, the intensity is going to be down a little bit more when you're up by 30 than it would be if, you know, so who knows what would be different, but I think the the biggest thing is this like there's been times where the Kansas Defense in the past it just it looked way too easy for opponents and it never looked that easy. Like even when Tennessee Tech got a, you know, scramble for twenty yards or or had a nice completion, which, you know, you're not gonna stop shut everyone down unless you're Georgia of last year. But you know, the it seemed like even when the the defense maybe faltered for a play, they immediately regained composure and then made it difficult. Like nothing looked easy for Tennessee tech. And I think that's what opponent aside, which I know is just the, is the is the phrase of the day. Uh, like that is what you want to see that kind of resilient attitude uh, from your defense of, you know, you talk about the short attention spans and what everything else like that. Yes. the It seemed like whenever Tennessee tech moved the ball well in chunks, it was more of the exception and not the rule uh, just the way that that defense was playing. And that, that kind of, that kind of mentality is something you want to bottle up and try to keep going, especially over the next couple weeks when the offenses are going to be a lot better.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's go ahead um, in the little bit of time we have left. Let's take a look ahead. Kansas is playing West Virginia. Um, you know, that's coming up this weekend uh, on Saturday, they are playing at five o'clock central time. Um, so it will be a night game in Morgantown, which from what I hear, those are not very much fun for the visiting team, but West Virginia struggled. Um, in their game against Pitt, they they played well at times, but there was definitely some I, I guess viewing it from an outsider some questioning of why they made some of the decisions they made. Um, the one thing that really jumped out to me looking at West Virginia is it appears they have just like the Kansas Jayhawks a very very good running game this year. Um, what I'm struggling to understand is whether they are going to utilize that running game um, as often as they probably should. It seems like they they you know they brought in JT Daniels. They, um, you know, they have a decent number of uh, potential weapons from the wide receivers, and it almost felt like they they were obligated to go ahead and use them rather than embracing just how strong that running game was for them. But um, one, did you get a chance to actually see that pit game? And two, as you kind of look at these two teams, I know you're you're working on the preview already over at Blue Wings Rising for this game coming up. But have you seen anything in what they're doing and kind of how that game went for them? that either gives you really good, you know, good feelings about what Kansas is going to be able to do or potentially has you worried about what that huge step up in competition is going to look like this
2: week. Yeah, I would say that the I guess the thing that maybe I can't tell if it was because it was week 1 against a rival and you're on the road and there's some nerves, but like there was some there was some carelessness and sloppiness from West Virginia in terms of you know, they ended up only with two turnovers, but they, they put the ball on the ground two other times that they recovered. So they had three total fumbles, only one of them lost, also through a pick. And so there's just the – you know, you mentioned the running game and everything. I think probably some of that is just nerves, but there is some of that, you know, sloppiness that if it continues and if KU's defense can force that out of them a little bit, like those are some momentum uh, shifters. And Yeah, I thought, you know <sighs> – JT Daniels was all right. He wasn't worldly in terms of, you know, like, you know, this was the battle of USC transfers and he wasn't overly efficient in terms of his completion percentage. Like he he wasn't really taking a lot of big chunks down the field. Um, So that one's kind of hard to say because Pitt is, you know, a, a really talented team. The one thing also that I would just point out that, again, I don't know if it is too much because of the circumstances uh of what week one and the rivalry and on the road and whatnot but one thing that stood out that I noticed I was going to bring up in the KU game as well is the penalties so once again Lance Leipold you know KU had four penalties for 40 yards and when you think of even with that FCS opponent week one trying to get on the same page you expect maybe some false starts you you know guys getting a little happy like KU was very uh was very organized and they were very like meticulous and not shooting themselves in the foot. West Virginia had 11 penalties for 72 yards, not egregious, but that's one of those things too, where like between, you know, I think the running game should worry you for, for Kansas. JT Daniels still is a talented quarterback, even if he didn't have a great game, but it's those things that I would look at of, is West Virginia going to continue to be kind of sloppy with the football and and give you opportunities to take advantage? And then are they also going to, you know, be sloppy in terms of the the penalties and and give you opportunities there where they're shooting themselves in the foot? So those were two things that kind of stood out there that it's really hard to tell until you see it, whether it's a week one, you know, beginning of the season circumstance that's not going to continue on, whether the opponent had obviously something to do with it, or whether this is kind of part of their DNA, which is just there's a little bit of recklessness and uh, in, in, you know not taking care of shops. But I would say at least that was that was one thing too on the KU side that it was good to see, even in this first sense, is that there was you know th- this was a this was a disciplined KU team that was not going to to get itself in trouble uh, with unnecessary flags and that sort. Of-
0: yeah, that is definitely the one thing. Like, I, I will be having someone coming on in the uh, later episode this week to, to preview West Virginia. It's probably going to be one of our friends over at the Raspberry Voice Kids as well. But um, I'm, still, I'm still trying to work out details on that. But, like, that's one of the things that kind of asked them, right, is, like, what does that look like um, in terms of penalties? Because, hey, guess what? The very first penalty for the Jayhawks, right, they ended up having 40 yards worth of penalties, which um, – was a little bit surprising when I went back and looked at it, but it wasn't until uh, let's see, was it late in the fourth quarter? Yeah, late or I guess early fourth fourth quarter is when Kansas had their first penalty for the entire game. Um, you know, and it was a it was a Kansas holding by DeAndre Doran. Like that was one of those things, though. Like though the very first thing for them penalty wise that happened was that late in the game when the game was already completely out of hand and you are throwing a bunch of different players in in different combinations to try to figure out what other stuff you can do. Um, that has to be hugely, right, hugely beneficial and hugely, like, a really great promising sign for this team, especially with all the fans that are so used to, you know, Kansas having 15 penalties or something in a game. Like, that used to be the, 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 the defining characteristic of this team was penalties. Um, West Virginia, like you said, they had a lot of penalties, and I don't know how much of that was being overhyped for Pitt, how much is that was, you know, guys just being put in bad situations, how much that was coaches not accounting for things correctly. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of possible explanations for why they would have had so many penalties, and the real question is how much that's going to carry over. I can guarantee you though that if if they have those numbers of penalties again, um, the Jayhawks are gonna be able to take advantage of that and it's going to make this game a whole lot closer than I think anyone is really prepared for. The spread on this game is thirteen points. Um, it opened up, I think, at thirteen and a half, and it's at thirteen right now. So like this is a game where a lot of people are expecting West Virginia to win this one quite handily. And, you know, looking at well, what West Virginia does, they have a lot of questions they need to get answered in practice this week to make sure are these things we really need to have, worry about or are these things that just kind of cropped up because it's against a rival that we haven't played in forever. I talked about this over on the 10-12 podcast. Like, I don't know how much I can take out of this game. This is West Virginia pit game because they, they're playing a rival they haven't played in a really long time. Neil Brown is already kind of dealing with, you know, trying to get creative with stuff to make sure that he keeps his job. Um, you know, they have some questions. They brought in a bunch of new guys, and it seems like they tried to force it in some instances. So, like, all of those are can work against you or work for you depending on how you actually incorporate them. I'm not sure what West Virginia is going to do, and I do think it benefits the Jayhawks to come off this huge game and go to Morgantown this week as opposed to waiting, you know, three weeks because. I think that was the big question coming in, right, was, is Kansas going to need time to get their feet under them and start getting everybody incorporated so that they're going to be competitive? I think what we saw is, no, the 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 the, um, the development that they had at the end of last year carried through, and they are, I think, at as good of a spot as they're probably going to be all year long. Um, you might have individual guys develop, but I think as a whole, this Kansas team has shown that they are ready to hit the ground running, and so... If you can catch teams early, like a West Virginia who potentially has to incorporate stuff, that's going to be to your advantage. I feel a whole lot better playing this game now in week two than if it would have been week 10, like, you know, we're seeing against Texas Tech. Like, that one I'm a little bit worried about because, guess what, Texas yeah, Tech is going to have time to develop. Right. So, yeah. so yeah. So, I think this works out perfectly for Kansas. Uh, you know, we'll have official predictions and everything um, over on the website and we'll have a lot more coverage of the game coming up as it as it's getting ready to come up. But, Kyle, before I get you out of here, because I will jump back on for a second segment to be talking about, um, you know, there's actually some college football playoff news. There's a whole bunch of stuff with the, the volleyball and the soccer teams. Like there's a bunch of other stuff going on at the university that I'll recap really quick here. But um, before we get you out of here for the day, Kyle, what uh, where can people find the work that you're doing covering the Jayhawks online?
2: Yeah, blue, Ring, blue wings Rising.com, Twitter at uh, Kyle Davis twenty one. There's a lot of us. I've got the number in there, um, and uh, yeah, we're just we'll uh, take it on the site. Going to have some good stuff coming up this week. Like I said, check out how how big of an outlier uh, this this week one one win was. Breaking that down, and then we'll have some good stuff coming ahead to West Virginia.
0: All right, awesome. So, uh, Kyle, thanks thanks for joining me, and we will be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Boom. Bosco's Boys is here.
1: I think we all wanted it, and the marriage is officially official. I'm so pumped to bring my show to
0: the 1012 Network, Bosco's Boys, the most consistent K-State podcast out there over four years with at least one episode a week, bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every Wednesday at 7 p.m., I'm pumped to be here, and I would love it if you guys came over to Bosco's Boys and gave us a listen, because we are not Big J Jurnos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans, and I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the Ten Twelve network. And we are back. Uh, Thank you to Kyle Davis for joining me to recap the Kansas football game that happened, but There's a lot of other stuff that actually happened over the weekend, uh, including something that tried to steal the thunder of the Jayhawks and their opening day game. But before we get to that, I want to run around the rest of the Kansas programs because there was a fantastic, uh, I'm sorry, they have started the season off really well. We have not had an opportunity to highlight them here on the podcast the way that I would like to. So I'm going to take that opportunity right now. We are going to start with the Kansas women's soccer team. Uh, unfortunately, they did drop their game against Missouri that was out in Columbia. I watched that game on TV. I was not very uh, impressed with some of the ways that uh, the momentum kind of shifted back and forth. And some of that was on the team. Some of that was on um, some rather strange calls. There was a uh, a foul that happened right outside the box. But it involved a uh, it, what looked to be a horse-collar tackle of a player, which should have been a straight red, which should have given Kansas some opportunities. At the time, the game was tied at one and I fully expected there to be a red card there to give Kansas an opportunity to get another score. Unfortunately, they didn't get that chance. Um, and, and so they were, uh, you know, unfortunately unable to hold up to the pressure that Missouri was placing on them all game long. They, they had a fantastic strike um, at the very beginning of the game from, from uh, Childers, who opened up the scoring with just a beautiful strike from up atop the box, and then unfortunately were back on their heels for pretty much the rest of the game. Uh, it's kind of just the way it happened for them. So hopefully they'll be able to kind of get back to it pretty quickly here. Um, because look, I mean they've they've had a great season so far. They lost the opening night game against uh, against Ohio State, um, but then they beat Northwestern and Iowa both at home. Went up to Des Moines, beat Drake three to one earlier this year. She- earlier this season, the end of August, beat Purdue one nothing at home um, on September first. Drop this one. They do have another game coming up here on the 8th, which would be Thursday uh, at 7 p.m. Central here in, in Lawrence at Rock Chalk Park. It is on ESPN Plus, the Big 12 now channel. So you have an opportunity to watch that is at 7 p.m. this Thursday. So if you have that chance to do it, make sure you go out and actually visit them in person. Enjoy those games that they have here. It's a fantastic team Is playing really, really well. Um, and then on Sunday, you know, we'll have another episode before then, but on Sunday, um, Yale is the team that is coming to play at Rock Chalk Park on Sunday at 1 p.m. So you have two opportunities over this next week to catch the women here in Lawrence and actually watch them in person. If not, you can catch both of those games on the Big 12 now on ESPN Plus, so I highly recommend it. So moving over to the women's volleyball team, this is another team that I wanted to do a preview and wanted to kind of dive into a lot earlier than this point in the year, but now is better than not doing it at all. So this volleyball team is off to an absolutely torrid start. Um, they have played a total of six matches over the course of the entire season so far in two weekend tournaments, one um, out in uh, Salt Lake city going up against Utah and the field that they had there. And then the second one was the black Knights invitational with uh, army uh, hosting that in at West point, New York. And so Kansas actually played really well in both of these, um, they, they actually have swept they've swept five uh, five matches total out of the six that they played. The only game or the only match that they did not get a sweep was against the host Utah Utes. Um, a team that was ranked at the time uh, out in Salt Lake City. They won that one three1 instead of three0. So this is a team that is on fire. They have a lot of really good players that are playing. Um, that are playing really well. This team is playing really well together. And in the latest poll that came out on Monday morning, uh, they are the 19th ranked team right now. So it's looking, it's shaping up to be another good year for the Kent's volleyball team. Uh, you know, they're, they're building off of that momentum that they had from last year where they went to the uh, sweet 16. Um, and, and unfortunately we're just not able to advance past that point, but they had a great end of the year last year. They, you know, they had a couple of people transfer out, had a couple of great transfers coming in. And now they are right back where they left off playing as one of the best teams in the nation. And I'm not really sure when they're going to slow down. Hopefully it doesn't happen for a while. They also though, coming up this week, uh, get you play UMKC. Uh, That is actually going to be on the road in Kansas city, Missouri. Um, And so that will be at 7 PM on the seventh. So that would be on Wednesday evening. Unfortunately, it does not look like that one's televised. So you're probably not going to be able to watch it, but that's all right. Um, you know, and then and then uh, the Kansas Invitational is happening uh, this weekend coming up. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's actually not this weekend. That would be the eighth and the ninth, which would be uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, so they have Wichita State, who they are playing on Thursday at 6:30 p.m. Central Time. Again, that is on uh, Big 12 now ESPN Plus, and same with the UNLV game here at home. Um, that will be on the ninth at 6:30 p.m. So if you have an opportunity to make it out for either of those, make sure you go ahead and take that opportunity. They are also hosting the Jayhawk Classic towards the end of next week. We'll have an opportunity to kind of talk about what they've done this week before uh, we actually get to that game. So or get get to those sets of games. And then we are really, really close to the conference season starting already for the for the uh, volleyball team. So definitely be looking forward as they kind of wrap up this non-conference schedule and see what they're able to do. And get themselves in the best position possible for conference play coming up. So, speaking of getting yourself in the best position possible, the best position you can get yourself into is inside one of the most comfortable uh, shirts that you are going to find anywhere. And that is from our sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel has the most vintage. Or the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, so much more. They have over 135 different schools. I, again, I don't know what the actual number is. I need to go count them up at some point, or just have Homefield tell me at some point. But if you head on over to Homefield Apparel, you'll find all kinds of great stuff from all kinds of different schools with fantastic vintage logos. And they just released the Core Collection. If you love the feel of those Homefield shirts, which I think everybody does. Um, and you find yourself in a situation where you either can't or you don't want to wear one of the vintage logos that they have, which I'm having a hard time imagining that. But I'm sure that there are plenty of people that aren't able to do it for whatever reason, a work environment or something like that. They actually have their shirts without anything on them. they called their their core collection. It's an opportunity for you to enjoy the fantastically comfortable uh, T-shirts that they do have. And still be able to do that even if you cannot wear the logos that they have. I highly recommend if you're going to go ahead and get some of the core collection that you also go ahead and pick up quite a few of those logos because you can never find um, any other great logos that you just can't have enough of. I have way too many and I'm already trying to look at get more. So um, I, I think that's going to be a recurring thing for me. So head on over to homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code chalk 12 You can get 15% off that entire first order and all orders over $100 get free shipping. All right, so final news of the evening. Uh, The final thing that I wanted to talk about was before Kansas kicked off um, on Friday night, there was a report on Friday that the college football, uh, let's see, it's the college football playoff board of governors made a decision to go ahead and approve an expanded model to 12 teams uh, for the college football playoff. My understanding is that it can happen as early as the 2024 season. Uh, but it will definitely be in place by the 2026 season, which is when the current um, when the current uh, agreement runs out. On that, what that does mean is that more and more teams are going to get access to the college football playoff, um, including you know you have to think that the Big 12 champion is for sure going to get one. In fact, the way that they have worded this, the way that it is being reported, um, is that the top six conference champions will all automatically get entry into the playoff. The top four conference champions will be guaranteed seeds one through four will have an opportunity to skip the first round of the playoffs and will get to the point where they, uh, you know, they will be essentially the host team of whatever bowl they happen to be assigned to for their quarterfinal. Um, what that does mean though, is teams like Notre Dame, who's remaining independent will always be at best. the seed. There are some potential shenanigans that could happen here, depending on how they actually do this, because it was not made immediately clear whether, the you know, fifth and sixth best uh, conference champion are going to be automatically slotted in at five and six. It doesn't sound like it the way that I'm reading it, the way I talked about it over on the 10-12 podcast. Um, this really seems to me like it's a top four get protected. They essentially get treated as division winners and will end up, you know, kind of moving on. And then everybody else gets paired up five and 12, you know, six and 11 and all the way down. And wherever you are in the rankings is where you happen to get thrown And the higher See the team gets to go ahead and host a on-campus first-round playoff game. That will be very interesting. I think it will be very, um, it it will change the dynamics for sure of college football play of the college football playoff. But it will not, I don't think, be detrimental to the way that they're doing it. We've talked in the past, like this is a this is a good thing. I think for for anybody, you know, you you can even actually talk about it being a good thing for for, for literally everybody involved because the SEC and the Big Ten get an opportunity to get more teams in the playoff you know, benefit from the money that comes from that and also have more opportunities to actually get a team that could potentially become the national champion. But even the, you know, the, the other conferences, the big 12, the, you know, the Pac 12, the ACC, and then some of these G five leagues, like they were very often looking at the possibility of never really having a good shot of getting, a team into the college football playoff. Cincinnati was able to do it, but it took some very special circumstances for them with a whole bunch of other teams being down and the fact that the Big Ten did not have a second team that people deemed to be worthy of, you know, being considered to make it to the college football playoff. And Cincinnati had to have a phenomenal year with the absolutely perfect setup non-conference schedule. This will ideally get rid of those sorts of requirements and will give them a fantastic opportunity for everybody, including the Big 12, to continue to get teams into the college football playoffs so um we will talk more about this as it comes up as we get to you know it becomes more relevant we get a lot closer to it actually happening but uh but that is going to go ahead and do it for us today if you guys uh have not already please do go out wherever you get your podcast where's apple podcast spotify stitcher any of the other million apps that are out there just search for rock Chalk podcast so you can subscribe get every episode as soon as it comes out if you can give us a rating and a review five stars nice comments would absolutely love that um, but if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. If you're part of the 1012 Podcast Network, uh, head on over to 1012network.com to get links to all the great shows we have over there. And, of course, we just joined the Sports Drink Network as well, uh, your home for Uh, sports and not sports. So, uh, sportsdrink.org, you can find all of the wonderful podcasts that they have over there as well. But, uh, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only, Tortillas and Takes podcast.
1: From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech.
0: Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat.
1: Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people.